0: unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends. Good morning to each one of you this morning in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of you are glad to be here in spite of the weather that we are having this morning. We have come, have we not, into God's house to worship him. This is the Lord's Day, this is the day which the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. As you know, this is the first Sunday in Lent. And in the Christian church, this Sunday is called Invocabit Sunday. That is a Latin word, and it's the first word in the intro for the day in the Latin. Invocabit means, he will call. And if you remember, the intro today started out, he will call upon me and i will answer him so on this the first sunday in lent again we say to ourselves what is appropriate for this season of the church here and the word of god that i just read is very apt for this first sunday in the lenten season it tells about an incident that took place up in caesarea philippi that's in the northern part of galilee and this incident took place in the summer before the following April when Jesus died. Jesus had taken the twelve away from the populous areas in Galilee and he had gone with them alone up to Caesarea Philippi. He wanted to talk to them. There was something that was on his heart That he wanted to tell them it was something that he had never told them in such plain language as he wanted to do on this particular day he had alluded to it he knew that it was going to be a bombshell he knew that it was going to be something that they never dreamed of but the time had come when the disciples would have to face realities and jesus was going to instruct them and he was going to tell them and so while he was up on the caesarean philippian highway with the 12 alone he turned to them and he said men i've got something i want to tell you and i'm going to talk plain and i'm going to talk in a very frank way i want you to know this that i am going to jerusalem and when i am there i am going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the scribes and the chief priests, and i will be killed And I will be raised from the dead. And no sooner did he have those words out of his mouth. And they did fall like a bombshell. The twelve thought, why, this is something they never dreamed of, that he was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to suffer and be killed. And Peter turned and grabbed him and he began to rebuke him. And he said, God have mercy on you, that's not going to happen to you. This is something that I forbid. You're not going. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not, Peter, the things which are of God, but of men. I'd like to have you look at him today, standing on the Caesarean Philippian highway, telling the twelve in this bombshell, Men, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I am going there to suffer, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised again. I am determined. I have made up my mind. My heart is set on it. I'm going. And Peter and the rest of you aren't going to stop me. Satan isn't going to stop me. Hell isn't going to stop me. Men, do you understand i'm going to jerusalem to suffer and to be killed and to be raised again and i'd like today on this person for you and for me to look at him standing there on the Caesarean philippian highway telling the disciples Oh, he had alluded to it time and again but this was the first time when he came right out so that there was no misunderstanding. And he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. You understand, is it clear? And They didn't understand, but there he stands on the Caesarean-Philippian highway. And I wonder whether you and I, when we look at him this morning, whether we say, what a magnificent Christ. He's worth knowing and he's worth having. Because he was determined. He had his mind made up to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to be killed and to be raised again from the dead and to say that no one was going to stop him, the disciples and Satan and hell. And he was going. And I wonder whether he appeals to you and me this morning. I wonder whether we say, well, I I don't see anything so wonderful about him in the fact that he had his heart set on making that trip. For we may say to ourselves, was that trip really necessary? was it necessary that Jesus go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and be raised from the dead was that an absolute must in his life was that something as a matter of life and death was it so terribly important that he make that trip was that trip necessary we may say well if the trip was necessary then perhaps I can see some magnificence in him that he was determined he was going to go. Nobody was going to stop him. But was it necessary? And I think when we look at him today and we say, what a tremendous Christ standing up there on that road talking to the twelve men, I'm going to Jerusalem. And you're not going to stop me. I've got my mind made up. I'm determined. My heart is on. I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised from dead. Why? He is magnificent because, listen, that trip was absolutely necessary. It was an absolute must in his life. It was the most important trip in his life. Why? Because it was the only way in which he could provide salvation and eternal life for you and me you take that trip away this trip to Jerusalem and you and I have nothing left it was the only way in which Christ could provide salvation for you and me by going to Jerusalem that trip to go and to suffer and to be killed and to be raised again from the dead there wasn't any other way in which he could have provided salvation Then by that trip to Jerusalem, and you and I may say, wasn't there another way except to go and to suffer and to die and to be raised? Jesus would assure you and me this was a matter of life and death, and that's why it had to be clear. And it was time the disciples knew it. They didn't understand. They couldn't associate that he, the Messiah, was going to die. But he said, men, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going, and I've got to go. This is an absolute necessity. And this morning, let's look at it and say, why was it a matter of life and death that he make that trip, that he go to Jerusalem, or that he suffer and be killed and be raised again? Christ would remind you and me of this in the first place, that it was only by going to Jerusalem and by suffering and being killed that he was able to fulfill God's plan for the salvation of the world. Had he not made that trip, he would never have been able to have provided Salvation for you and me. We need to stop and say, what was God's plan for the salvation of the world? Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Cain and Abel when they offered sacrifice. What was it? God's plan from the beginning was by sacrifice. Abel offered a lamb, a sacrifice from the flock. Go back again when the children of Israel were down in Egypt. What was it that they had to do in order to prevent the angel from killing the firstborn in their homes? They had to sacrifice a lamb and smeared the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel post, and then the angel passed over. When God appointed Aaron, the first high priest, and laid down all the ceremonial way of worship, what was it? It was that the high priest were to offer up lambs for sacrifice. On the day of atonement, they went into the Holy of Holies, and they sprinkled the blood of a goat, on the mercy seat. What was the plan of God? It was suffering and it was sacrifice, wasn't it? That was the very thing. What did Isaiah say? As How will you know Messiah when he comes? What is God's plan? I say he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. When you and I turn to the Old Testament and say, what was God's plan for the salvation of the world? It was what? It was that there should be someone who would suffer and someone who would die. Every lamb that was slaughtered pointed to that very thing. And therefore, Jesus, no wonder up on the Caesarean-Philippian highway, he told him, he says, man, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is the last thing you would ever imagine that I would do, but I'm going to suffer, and I'm going there to die, and I'm going to be raised, and don't stop me. Get out of my sight, Satan. I'm going. I have it on my heart. Why? Because Jesus knew that there was no other way to meet the plan of God and then you and I may say well why was that the plan of God that's a deep one isn't it why did God choose that the way to provide salvation was that Jesus his son should come and suffer and die we get a glimpse of it if we go to Gethsemane when Jesus prayed oh my father if it be possible that this cup pass from me he was saying to his father father If there is another way, except that I uh, go ahead and suffer and die, oh, Father, let it be. But you notice the answer came back three times, that there wasn't any other way. Far be it from you and me ever to limit God, but on the basis of scriptures, God would have you and me to believe this, that there was no other way to save the world except through Jesus Christ and through sacrifice, through his death through his death on the cross. Had there been another way, God surely would have told him in Gethsemane, we'll go another way. There wasn't any other way. This was God's plan, and even God would say, this was the only way in which salvation could be provided, that my son would make a trip to Jerusalem, and he would suffer, and he would die. That's why Jesus told them up on the Caesarean-Philippian highway that day, in other words, men, you've been with me now in the third year, and it's time I'm talking to you right straight from the shoulder, and it's time I'm telling you, I'm going to Jerusalem, you don't know, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. It was an absolute necessity, it was a matter of life and death, there wasn't any other way in which he could provide salvation, and therefore he would assure you and me that it was only by his being raised from the dead that he could give you and me the assurance that he had fulfilled God's plan of salvation can you name a better way than to be raised from the dead to assure us beyond the shadow of a doubt that he had fulfilled God's plan which was a plan of sacrifice of suffering and death no wonder he stood up there that day and the men didn't understand. They had so many erroneous ideas, but he said, I've got you here alone. And I want to talk straight from the shoulder. I want to tell you, I'm going to Jerusalem. You may not know it, but I'm going there to suffer and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And therefore, on this first Sunday in Lent, we ought to say, as we look at him, he is magnificent. Thank God that he was determined and that it was in his heart to go and I'm going to go and you're not going to stop me and Satan in hell won't stop me and therefore we ought to say to ourselves he is magnificent and I am determined that I want to know him and I want to have him and only then will you and I be determined that if we're going to know him and have him we've got to hold on to this we've got to hold on that that trip to Jerusalem was an absolute necessity I know that in the church today there are those that are saying in the cause of ecumenicity, in the cause of getting together, uh, we ought to do this, we ought to soft-pedal his death, we ought to soft-pedal his suffering, we ought to soft-pedal Calvary, we ought to soft-pedal his resurrection. These are so difficult and these are not attractive, but listen, if we give them up, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. That's why he stood on the Caesarean-Philippian highway one day and told the disciples, I've got to go. And I'm going. Again, my heart is set on it. I'm going. When we lose again this one trip, when he went to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and to be raised, when we lose it, then we've lost everything Bear in mind, you say, what happened to poor old Simon Peter? Well, there he was again. He had, again, he just bursted over with words. And the minute he heard Jesus say something about going to die, he said, you're not going. And he grabbed him and he said, you, God forbid, you're not going to go. And then you may say, how does it come that Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan? You see, Peter had inadvertently allowed Satan to use him. Satan was using him, in other words. That a boy, Peter, you go right to it. Talk him out of going to Jerusalem. I wonder if we realize that when the church goes soft on Christ's suffering and death and resurrection, that Satan stands and says, that's the way to do it. You couldn't do anything to please him anymore. He tried it up on the Caesarean-Philippian highway through Peter inadvertently, trying to simply tempt Jesus, don't go. Satan knows that if he hadn't made this one trip, there would be no life and salvation for the world. We've got to hold on. This is the very core, the heart and center of the Christian faith. And only when you and I hold on to this, the Christ who made that trip, are we going to escape the tragedy of having a Christ who who doesn't have any salvation to offer. If you have a Christ, if I have one, who again didn't go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and rise again, uh, then we've got a Christ that simply has nothing to offer. There is no life, there is no salvation. It was only by going to Jerusalem that there is the eternal life. Take that away, and there's nothing left. Then he is useless, and again, you and I don't need him. The first Sunday in Lenten, we stand and we take a look at him up there on the Caesarean Philippian Highway. If he ever talked plainly to the twelve, he did it that day. There was no misunderstanding. They knew what he was talking about. He said, man, we're going to straighten this thing out. Now I'm going to Jerusalem. And I want you to know that I'm going there to suffer and I'm going to be killed. He says, and I'm going. I'm determined. I have it in my heart. And no one's going to stop me. And we may say, there is magnificence there because this trip was a matter of life and death. You take this trip away again. Again, there's nothing left. Then there is no life and salvation. There was no other way in which he could have provided because in the second place he reminds us that it was only by going to Jerusalem and suffering and being killed that he was able to satisfy God's justice with regard to our guilt and our punishment. Do you know of any better way in which Christ could have met the justice of God as regards your penalty and mine and eternal damnation in hell than the way he did it? You and I may say, well, couldn't Jesus have said to his heavenly Father, now, Father, I don't see why I've got to take the brunt of their punishment on myself. Uh, You're a God of love. Why don't you just forget about their punishment? I know that the human race deserves to be damned, but you are a God of love. Uh, why didn't he say that? God, if you're a God uh, forget all about the punishment of sinners. And God would have answered him. He would have said, Son, you forget that I am a God of justice. I'm an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, God. And because eternal damnation rests as a sentence upon all men, my justice demands that that penalty be fulfilled to the nth degree or I would cease to be a God of justice. The only way in the world that we know of whereby the justice of God could have been met was by Jesus, who was God's Son, saying, You give me the wrath, Father. You lay it on me, and let me by my death, let me bear the equal of an eternal punishment for the human race, and that Heavenly Father will satisfy your justice so that your love can show itself to humankind. And that's exactly what his death meant. And when he died on the cross, that's what he did for you and me. There was no other way. Take this trip away to Jerusalem and there's nothing left. But again, when he went and when he died on the cross, this is the way he satisfied God's justice. And therefore, he also would assure you and me that it was only by his resurrection from the dead that he can guarantee you and me that he does have deliverance from hell to offer us. Do you know of any better proof of that in Christ there is deliverance, some eternal punishment for our sins, than in the fact that he arose again from the dead and showed that he was the conqueror. There could be no better proof. And that's why he was reminding the twelve that day, I'm going to Jerusalem, men. Don't try to stop me. I am determined. I've got my mind made up. It's on my heart. I'm going. And all because he knew that this one trip, this was the most essential the most tremendous the most important the greatest must in his life because he knew that only in going to jerusalem could he provide eternal life for us and that's why today when we look at him we ought to say he is attractive we ought to determine and say thanks christ for going and in that gratitude to determine that we want to know him and you and I want to have him in spite of the cost. Oh, he spoke some pretty stern words up there on that road that day to the twelve. And he said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, then he says, you've got to take up your cross. He said, there's a price, men, if you accept me as your Savior. And you and I may say, the price of the cross. Who wants to bear a cross? And you say, what is this cross that he's talking about? This is the cross This is the price that you and I pay for being a Christian. It's the price we pay for being laughed at because we believe in a Christ. We have one who went to Jerusalem, who suffered and died, who rose again. We take the scorn, the ridicule. It is the price that you and I pay. There are some things we can't do as Christians. It is the price we pay that as you and I stand in the world and the worldly man looks at us as a Christian, he says, if what that man believes is right, then I'm lost and damned and that's why they hate us. We stand as monuments of judgment, and because we do, there's a price. But Jesus says, be willing to pay the price. He said, because what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you try to save your life by staying away from me, you're going to lose it. There was Alexander the Great, you know, who went out and thought he had conquered the world. And Jesus says, suppose you had the whole world. Alexander the Great, he wept, you know, because there were no more worlds that he could conquer, and he had just barely touched the surface of the world. But Jesus up there that day was where he took a scale and on one side of it he says, put on this side the world, all of its wealth and all of its joy and all of its literature and all of its art and all of its beauty and put it on this side and on this side of the scale put a human soul and he says the scale goes down, the soul is of much more value. Jesus would have you and me know that if we had the whole world it would never compensate for the loss of our soul. It must be held to be lost. And he would have, you and me, know that if we had the whole world, it's only temporary at best. And also that it never satisfies fully. And I think you and I know that. I don't care what you have or what I have as regards the world. It just doesn't quite satisfy, does it? And it never will. We were made that way. And therefore, when you and I determine that we're going to pay the price, then what happens? There comes this comfort when we have him and we pay the price and bear the cross, that we have a place of refuge and a place of strength to go when the storm clouds gather. And oh, in a congregation, decide just how quickly emergencies arise. You stand outside of surgery and you see a family standing there in tears. Everything was fine yesterday. And suddenly here's the situation. And the family, did you ever stand outside of a surgery door and it was endless, wasn't it? You wondered, what in the world do they do all that length of time when you've got a loved one going under the knife and you're wondering, is it malignancy or is it not? And again, you just die a little, don't you? And you stand there. But oh, to have Christ as a haven of refuge, to go to him and find serenity and strength for the day. When you come and you say, my home is busted up and I never realized what was happening and it's gone, she's left or he's gone and there's nothing left and the kids have turned against me Oh, to have Jesus Christ. No, but I've got him, a place of refuge where we can go and again we can be comforted in a place of strength for the day. That's what it means to have this Christ The one who went to Jerusalem, when you and I pay the price. Look at him standing up on the Caesarean Philippian Highway. He says, I have it in my heart, I'm going. No one's going to stop me. Man, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer, man. Don't try to stop me, I have it on my heart. There's a magnificent Christ because this trip was necessary. It was the great trip of his life. It was the absolute must. There wasn't any other way in which he could provide salvation because he also reminds us that only by his suffering and death, only by going to Jerusalem, was he able to earn the perfect righteousness that admits us to heaven. If he hadn't gone to Jerusalem, and if he hadn't suffered and died, how could he have earned the righteousness that you and I need to admit us to heaven? there was only one way and God the Father reminded him of that son if you want to do a work that is good enough if you want to do a work that will merit all the righteousness that a human being needs to enter heaven you're going to have to bear his guilt and pay his punishment and then you will earn it let's not forget that the 100% righteousness that Christ has provided to you and me was earned it wasn't given to him He earned it. And he earned it by a perfect submission to his heavenly father, by a death on the cross. This was earned righteousness. And when you take away the cross, there was no other way. Had he not gone, there would be no righteousness that could save you and me. And that's why he said, I have it in my heart. I'm going. And he went. And because he went again, he assures you and me that it was only by his being raised from the dead that he assures you and me that he's got heaven to give. How do I know that he even has heaven to give me? Because he went to Jerusalem. Because he had the courage to stand before 12 men one day whose last thoughts were that Messiah would ever go and suffer and die and say, men, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I want you to know it. I'm speaking plainly. You're not going to stop me. I have it on my heart. Thank God he went. What a Christ. And when you and I can thank him because he did make that trip, it was the tremendous trip of his life, that he did go, then we ought to walk in courage. We ought to say to ourselves, I can walk courageously happy having him because I know this, that I am immortal. Nothing will happen to me. I will not die until I fulfill my plan and mission in life. You know what I love about it? When he was up there and not only mentioned this, he said, not only and be raised again, but he said and be raised again the third day. He said, listen, I am in control. Nothing's going to happen except I lay down my life and I will raise it on the third day, not the second, not the fourth, not the fifth, the third day. You know what that means to you and me? That ought to mean this. He's got a mission and a plan for you and me. He had a trip to make, and he made it. And he says to you and me this morning, listen, I want you to know this, that I've got a plan for your life. I've got a mission for you. And just as I, again, controlled mine that it was the third day, not the second, not the fourth, the third, he says to you and me, I will keep you alive. Nothing will ever take your life until you fulfill your plan in your mission that i have for you that is when you and i have embraced him i think of david livingston he dreamed as a child he wanted to go to dark africa you know this thing of a mission i wonder how many of us think in terms of little things whenever i mention mission or again a plan life isn't funny we think of great things david livingston wasn't thinking of great things as a boy he dreamed of going to africa and to tell the black man about Jesus and to love him and to show him how to live just to be over there and he said there were times when he was the only white man within a radius of a thousand miles a little thing but he went remember when he was lost and when they were worried in England where David Livingstone was and they sent Stanley to go find him and Stanley went into Africa looking for David Livingstone Stanley wasn't even a Christian but he found him and Stanley said when he found him doing little things, a white man amongst thousands of colored, telling them about Jesus, telling them about the cross and showing love, Stanley himself said it was more than he could stand. He bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. He could never saw him but The little things. I wonder how many of us realize what the little things. We say, why am I alive? You and I are alive and the reason we haven't died, there are some things in your plan and mine Oh, so many of you say to me, why am I alive? I'd be better off dead. Oh, God, no, you wouldn't be better off dead. When I think back in my life, I wonder what the little things mean. I think back of the little things. I remember calling on a woman who was in the last stages of tuberculosis. In fact, is the pus was oozing out of her chest. And she said to me one day, she said, I thank you for coming because you're the only one that comes who shakes hands with me. And you're not afraid to shake hands. Everybody else is afraid. I've often thought to myself, if that was my mission in life, to shake hands with the tubercular so that she knew I wasn't afraid and gave her comfort, I can't think of anything any bigger. I remember going down the hospital hall one day, and the nurse came up and said, you going in that room? And I said, yes. She says, don't go in there, Reverend. She says, that's a wicked woman. She's diseased. Don't touch her. But she wanted to see me, and I remember walking in. And I remember when I walked up to that bed, and she reached up her hand, and I grasped her hand. Yes, she was venereal. She was syphilitic. But nevertheless, it was a small thing. She thanked me for touching her. I remember giving a friend of mine a glass of water before he died, and Cutting up some meat for a patient in the hospital. I remember standing there at the door when the little kid I told you about came running up and grabbed me by the legs and said, I ain't afraid of you, Redner. Uh, That's mission in life. Did you ever think of that? Even to have a dog. Mine just went. To have a dog that knows he's loved. That's mission in life my pumpkin again he didn't eat the last couple of days and thus I sat down and held his food in front of him and he licked my hand and then he ate that's mission to love one of God's creatures what are you looking for in life except just the little things aren't they the things uh, that count and that when you and I know him and again we say well I'm a mortal. I'm not going to die till." My mission, little things, kindnesses and mercies, and telling about him until it's accomplished. Is that when death comes? You and I can say it comes at the best possible time, and to think that we have the joy of a completed mission in, in heaven too. Oh, in your life and mine today, I wish we could look up to Christ on the Caesarean-Philippian highway. We can say, oh, thank God that he took that trip. That we could rejoice and say, where would we be without it? Then walk the glory road, courage, face up, smiling. Be able to sing on a hill, far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners were slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Amen. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding Keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.